One, two, three. There we go. All right. You have, what, two minutes to get right with the Lord, okay? And each other before we get started here. Sandy and John. John and I connecting at the aquatic center a little bit to know him. Horse people. You could sit up front, right up here, horse people. Mm-hmm. Amen. Take your Bible and turn to Proverbs 18, then I'll, we'll get going here. Lead us some prayer, but get, get us ready. So grateful for you being in here. Nobody's asked me why I call this 102. I just thought I was so creative in doing marriage class 102. 101 was when you said, I do. Yeah. 102 is when you say, I still do. So that's all for me for creativity, okay? Next Sunday, if you have the book, you don't have to have the book uh, for the class, but if you do or if you want it, it's available in our book center. But notice, Pastor Dave will be in chapter 4. I'm in 2 today. Remember, I, we'll be skipping around because the issue of scheduling everybody at time that, that works for them. So you'll get to see Dave and Kim's uh, wedding picture next, uh, next Sunday. He will be leading us in chapter 4, defining moment number 3. Now, I don't know if this is true, but you know, Dave doesn't have anything here. I understand in his wedding picture, he has an incredible comb over from this side, way over to this side. I don't know if that's true, but is it, are they here? <laughs> that's what I've heard. That's, you'll want to be here next week to see, if that's, to see if that's so or not. So, again, but moving to that chapter, Pastor has it next week. Let's ask God to bless our time. Is that a good idea? Father, we're here for you. We are here for you. You are worthy of our mind, of our attentiveness to you today, of our praise. With all of our hearts, all of our hearts, our minds go a million places. But we want them on you and on your truth. And you want, we want you to be pleased with the thoughts and intents of our heart. And we can do that because you've given us new hearts. And we praise you for that even as we're reminded of that today later on in this, uh, in this study. Thank you for your grace and goodness to us. Revealed in your word and in the one who became flesh, laid down his life for us, eternal son of God. We thank you for what he's done for us and in us, in the cross and in the resurrection. So you be pleased with how you work in our hearts today. We want to be mindful that we want to start in our own hearts. Our own hearts. Not our husband, not our wife, but our own hearts. And we want you to be pleased with what you would do. And we thank you for grace. Abundant, saving, sanctifying, glorifying one day grace. In Christ's name we pray together. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's get it done. There we are. There we are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did have hair once upon a time, a long time ago. Deborah hasn't changed, but what has happened to me, I do not, I do not know. All right. I want to make an appeal to you likewise. Thank you. Thank you for the 
young folks, the younger married ones in the front here. Can you all, the rest of you say amen for that? And then I want to ask the group over here today, as in the next hour you see others of our young marrieds that are not in the class. All of all you, I want you to listen to me now. I want you to, to speak to them and appeal to them and tell them that your pastors and your elders are all going to teach this particular class to do all that we can to strengthen your marriage. And so particularly, we want to see the newer, newer younger married folks as these folks are right here. Can we, the rest of you give them a hand that they're, that they're willing to be here? Because, because they are yet to find out what a defining moment really means. Okay? So... You've turned to Proverbs 18.22. Let's start with the word. Ah, Proverbs 18.22. We're going to get to Ecclesiastes, but I want to come back from that. Oh, I don't want to be there either. Okay, Proverbs 18.22. What a great verse on marriage. He who finds a wife, I want the men to finish this verse, finds a, and obtains favor from the Lord. By the way, the beginning of this, I want to go back and look at it, and that's why I'm bringing it up this week. When it says, finds a wife, it literally says, and finds good. He who finds a wife, finds good. I also wanted to look it up because when it says, obtains favor, I was wondering if it's that typical word for favor in the Old Testament or the idea of grace that oftentimes conveys the idea of divine favor. But it's not that Hebrew word, hesed's. It's a different word. It's the Hebrew word, ratzan. And that word conveys the idea of the, uh, of the concept, what is desirable and a source of joy. Now think about that as I read the text. He who finds a wife finds good and obtains what is desirable or what is good from the Lord. Isn't that a great passage? What a gift we have in our marriage, huh? Brings us back to that Ecclesiastes passage. Enjoy our life with the woman whom you love all the days of our fleeting life. Over here, people, is it fleeting? Yes, it is. It sure goes fast, does it not? So we want to uh, maximize for the glory of God and the benefit of each other the time that we have left, which he has given to you under the sun, for this is your reward in life. And Ernie, God show my good buddy, well, define. Marriage is a binding covenant created by God between one man and one woman. We want to declare that today in the example of our lives. For our holiness, for our holiness, for our joy, there we are, back to that idea of joy and happiness in a relationship that God has given to us as a picture of the gospel. So we're working on our marriages to grow in oneness and as a blessing and, and, and as a team with each other that our marriages will be a testimony of the grace of God and that in our marriages the gospel will be evident because we might even say, some of us over here we might say, we're not sure we'd be married today without the gospel. Amen? Without the grace of God in our lives. What's that old saying about... Uh, Billy Graham, Mrs. Graham, right? They asked her one time, living to him, perfect man. She said, no. Um, you ever consider divorce? She said, absolutely not. Murder? Yes. Divorce? Divorce? No. Marriage is God's primary provision for the believer's sanctification. 
for our sanctification, for our growth, for our holiness. And as Luther said, marriage is the school of our, of our character. And so he wants to develop in the chapter um, the fact that, yes, the luggage of our sin requires God to become a man and spill his precious blood as the only remedy. Thank God for Christ being real in our marriages. And we remember again, we remember again that, that pyramid, you know, the closer that we get to Christ, the closer we are to one another. Amen? And, and likewise, that the best thing, please, and if I keep repeating it, just remember that repetition is the mother of learning. The best thing that I will ever bring to my marriage is my own personal sanctification and my own walk with the Lord. I might say it another way. The biggest problem in my marriage is me. So Lord, start with me. And may I practice what I'm preaching even today. So the luggage of our sin requires God to become a man and spill his precious blood as the only remedy. We have hope, we have answers in the gospel and in the word. But the baggage we bring into our marriage represents more than our sin, and that's where we're going and what we're majoring on today. Saying sin is our biggest problem does not mean that sin is our only problem. So he's going to develop, and we're going to move on with that today, the complexity of each of us as individuals and the complexity that this brings into our marriage. How we are different. How we are different. Thank you, Lord, that we are. And all the stuff, all the things in life that impacts our marriage, that comes in to marriage as two people different. And all that that he calls in the book with reference to some of the baggage. And much of that complexity that we've learned, marriage is a quest then toward knowing the complex gift God gave you in your spouse. Let me just stop for a moment and ask yourself the question, do I really know my wife or my husband? And I might just stop for a moment and convey to you more than one situation of working through some people, and we all need help at different times, and thank God for people in our lives who love us and tell us the truth. And sometimes we need somebody else with wisdom to help us put the wires together and to understand what's going on in our marriage. But I will tell you today that more than one time in the midst of helping some people work through some details in their marriage and asking a husband, do you really understand your wife? And the husband would be sitting there going, do I understand her? (laughs) And you know what she's doing at the same time? Doing this. Doing this. That's not right. Amen? Amen? <laughs> Please. And so we're, we, we've got this adventure. It's this ministry that we have, this oneness that we're working on in knowing each other better so that we can, I love the way he says it here, skillfully love and care for that gift that God has given to me. And if we go back to Genesis, she is or he is to her, to one another, a perfect corresponding counterpart. So God didn't make a mistake when he brought us together. And we can work better if we're growing and if we're right with each other, better as a team than we can alone for the glory of God and and modeling the gospel to others. So we talked last week real quick about small luggage, but nonetheless, it's luggage. We all have deeply ingrained habits, some of them good, some of them bad, and some of them otherwise, right? 
We come from different backgrounds. Talking about that for a moment this morning, Dan. Where are you two from? Different backgrounds. A lot of, lot of things same, but a lot, lot, a lot different where we came from. We're uniquely impacted by the example of others in our lives. Some of those uh, examples for us were good. Some of them were not so good. We have different likes and dislikes and preferences. Deborah wants to go to Panera. I don't like Panera, okay? I think a really, really good meal is like, well, they have coupons at Burger King. Amen? You know? Okay, we have different preferences there. You can dwell on that this week. Number five, we have different personalities. Everybody's unique in terms of their personality. Try to get past Panera if you would right now, okay? We have, by design, different perspective on things. And man, do we need to listen to each other and our perspective on things. I have made my share of mistakes because I did not see things, the things that Deborah, from her perspective, was able to see and in my pride that I was not listening to. And we don't always agree about everything, and that's all right. But the Bible says we're not to, we're not to uh, go to bed angry, right? We're not to let the sun go down on our anger. We talked about that in the rules uh, of communication. So we can even agree to disagree but stay right with one another. That's all possible. So, so this is all good. This is all part of design. This is all this quest to the glory of God of becoming uh, one flesh. In marriage, you have a lot to learn about each other in order to effectively love and care for one another. Here we are again. You have a calling. You have, you have a ministry. You have a ministry. The word ministry has the idea of serving. You say, well, who's in the ministry? You know, pastor and elders. No, we are all who are married. We have a ministry of our marriage for that marriage to be an example of the grace and the glory of God. And if, just think in 1 Timothy 3 and so forth, when it's talking about leaders and elders and deacons, how much it says about the relationship, husbands and wives, what profiteth the man if he build a thousand-member church and lose his marriage? And it happens. So you have have called to help each other grow in holiness and become more like the Savior. You're called to reflect the beauty of Christ's love for his bride, the church. So what are you doing and how are you helping each other to grow? To be in the word. And do you encourage each other in that? And do you see the giftedness that you can encourage with reference to one another? Again, putting the gospel on display. Now turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 3 for a moment. 1 Peter 3. And in verse 7, verse 7, the, the chapter 3 is, begins with wives and instruction to wives, and then he gets to verse 7, and, and he says, okay, now, now you husbands, 1 Peter 3, 7. We know this verse, men. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives, and uh, the King James uh, says dwell, dwell together. And in our Bibles, it's probably, you see the italics there, it inserts your wives. And one of the reasons that it does that, obviously it's talking to wives, now it's talking to husbands with reference to what it says in the rest of the verse. But there's another thing with reference to that word live, and it has the idea to dwell, in and in a, in it's a present tense, it's an ongoing 
relationship that is, that is intimate and that is close. That, what is more of an intimate, close relationship than marriage, right? And so he's saying, you, you just maximize this as you have this, this closeness, this oneness that you're experiencing. And then he says, do this. Look at the verse with me again. You husbands in the same way live or dwell, beauty of that word, with your wives. We could, we could really go both ways on this. We could even say with your husbands. But I wanted to point out the next part of it, likewise. In an understanding way, or as the King James says, and I like it there as well, it says according to knowledge. It's that word gnosko. It is more than just I know that that's person's It's to know in a close and an intimate way to know well. I'm just, I'm just laboring this same thing again, according to knowledge. So we're talking, about, we're talking about understanding gifts and strengths and weaknesses and fears and struggles of one another and growing in our understanding of that, that we may love and help one another through this, through this thing called life and all that, it, all, that it brings, all that it brings to us. Let's finish the verse for the sake of us men and all of us. As, some, as someone weaker, since she is a woman, she's a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir. Isn't that beautiful? A fellow heir of the grace of life, together enjoying all the benefits and blessings and the grace of life that God has given to us in the time that he does, by his grace, allow us to have together. So, now we move on to defining moment number one. All of that to get us the focus of that chapter. When you discover brokenness is broader than sin. Now, here's the context of what's going on. Uh, in the chapter, he talks about going to a, a seminar or a conference that was a better part of the day. And the teacher was uh, David Paulison. I, have, um, I buy anything by him that I can afford to buy. David Paulison, How Does Sanctification Work? His book on anger, speaking the truth and love. If you Google his name, um, click on it, and you come down after it brings up David Paulison, uh, pastor, teacher, whatever else, you'll see that there's um, a, probably a brief uh, YouTube video. If you click on that, you'll discover there's probably a hundred other videos, short videos there. A godly man, godly teacher. You might want to see if you can catch his uh, testimony. His uh, testimony is in his book on sanctification and uh, quite a beautiful testimony and died well in the Lord. And you can even hear about that likewise. Now I mentioned him because he is doing this seminar that the author of our book, Dave Harvey, is sitting in on. And as he's sitting in on that, the folk of Paulison's talk is for us to understand the whole, what's involved with the whole person and what it is that motivates us or what it is that causes us to do the things we do and and behave the way that we behave. And so as he's sitting in on that, and he, he illustrates that, if you've read the chapter, he illustrates that by some circles and going from one to the next about what it is that we're about. And so the first one that he brings up is with reference to the human heart. Now we're going to go in the Bible one more time. I want you to turn with me to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4. You probably know where I'm going already in chapter 4. But everything about what's going on in our lives has to do with our 
Everybody with our, what? With our hearts. And what's going on in our hearts individually has everything to do with what's going on in our marriage. In my daily reading, I'm in Matthew, and I've just finished uh, some of the reading in the Sermon on the Mount. Boy, if Jesus is doing anything in the Sermon on the Mount, he is going after our what? After our hearts. After our hearts. And so what he's doing here is driving home the reality of the heart is the most comprehensive biblical term for what determines our life direction, behavior, thoughts, and actions. It's at the center of all human motivation. The heart is the core of our human existence. And from it comes our cravings, our longings, our desires, our idols, stuff going on all the time in our hearts. John Kitchen has a, I want to come back from that. I want to look at the passage first and remind you of 423. Look there with me. 423. Proverbs 423. Do you have it marked even in your Bible? It says, watch over, or some of our translations say, guard, guard or protect your heart with all diligence. Why? For from it flows the springs of life. Everything about life relates to what's going on in the heart. Jesus talked about out of the heart comes, and then he mentioned a, a grocery list of various various sins and reality. It's not about prim- primarily about our environment. It is about what is going on in our heart. By the way, as you have your Bible open yet, and you want to say, well, how do I even begin to watching over my heart? Read the next verses. Because 24 through 27 tells us how to even begin watching over our hearts. Put away from you a deceitful mouth. Put deceivious speech from far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. There's where it really begins. And then the rest of the wisdom that's presented to us in the book of, uh, in the book of, of Proverbs. So now praise God, praise God for his salvation because the major problem of our heart has been resolved in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's given us from a heart of stone to a new heart that has a desire to live a life pleasing to him. Nothing expresses our goal in the Christian life better than that. Paul says it three times. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Colossians 1, 10. The heart pleasing to God, have a heart pleasing God, and be sincere with reference about that. So God, guarding my heart is to guard my eyes, my thoughts, my words, my motives, my choices, and to know the deceptiveness of my own heart, Proverbs 17, 9. The heart is deceitful, deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Verse 10 says God does. So it's to know the deceptive potential nature of my own heart. And part of that fleshes out in problems in marriage. If I follow my heart in that, the problem and my number one problem in my marriage is back to Genesis chapter 3. Adam, what's the problem? The woman you gave me. Everything was great back in the garden, and then you gave me this woman, (laughs) right? Amen. And what did the woman say? 
the serpent, right? No, the reality of our... You're all looking at me goofy. You understand exactly what I'm saying, right? But to know that and, and know the disaster of my living in my marriage simply by my selfish feelings. We ended in Philippians 2 last week. The example of the Lord Jesus Christ came not to be served but to serve. You serving in your marriage? Because the flip side of that is selfishness. And nothing hurts our marriage than living selfishly. And it's a, it's a propensity of my heart without watching over it and guarding it. And so there's the absolute imperative of renewed and transformed heart by learning and living God's word. And so if you came today and your heart is not right with the Lord or your heart is not right with one another, or you've not been guarding your heart this week, I just want to tell you in love to help you, not to hurt you, but you are not helping your marriage. And if you are not in the Word of God at all, apart from a Sunday morning, you are not able to guard your heart. You're not able to. Thy word I have hid in my heart, that I might not what? Sin against thee. So we, we need, as Job said, he needed God's word more than his necessary food. That's us. That's us. And then we walk carefully. You who think you stand, take heed lest you what? Lest you fall. And we talked last week about the reality. The enemy wants our marriage. So John Kitchen, something, you see something by John Kitchen, buy it and give it to me, please, okay? Guard your heart. If there were one verse I could give to Christian young people, it would be this. Nothing is more essential than guarding your heart. The heart is more than simply the sentimental side of us. The Hebrew concept of the heart includes the mind and our ability to reason. The violation of our uh, ability, the, the volition and our ability to exercise the will and the emotions and our capacity for a broad range of feelings It is a term that reflects the totality of the inner person, and the inner person is the real you. The heart is the real you. There is nothing of greater value on this earth than the condition of my heart. There is no single action that will more directly affect the outcome and quality of your life than the guarding of your heart. There is not a more portentous predictor of your ultimate end than what you expose your heart to which we could also read, expose your mind to. So above all else, Kitchen says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Okay. Human heart, it all starts there, what's going on in the heart. But he says, likewise, we are physically embodied. We are physically embodied. And we've talked a great deal about that um, already. Our hearts exist within a decaying frame. We're aging. We have imperfections. We contract diseases. We require sleep every single night. We have senior moments. Oh, do we have senior moments? (laughs) Yeah. The other day, Deborah grabbed hold of me and came out and said, why is the faucet running in there? Of course, I said, because I want it to be running. That's why. Up, Dad, turn the faucet off. Okay? Go ahead and laugh. You know exactly what we mean. Next week, I'll have you share your senior moments, okay? We're weak. By the way, we keep seeing one another oftentimes. 
Why are you groaning like that when you get up? Why are you groaning like that? I wasn't groaning. You were groaning. We keep reminding each other at this point in our lives. When we get up, don't do anything right away. Make sure your body parts function. And then start to move. Hey. Huh? Yeah, go ahead and laugh. Wait till you hit 70. You won't laugh anymore. We're weak, which is to say we have areas of our life where we're not omnipotent. In a broken world, our minds and our bodies fail. We're not yet what we will be. There's forgetfulness, joint aches, menopause, depression, cancer, the imperfect chemistry and physiology, physiology of a fallen bodies can impact our ability to control our desires and respond to our circumstances. And sometimes, well, I mean, they're just different struggles. And one of you is going through things, the other isn't physically at that time. And how does that affect us? And are we attentive to it? Or we just say, hey, stop being that way, you know? This is why I love this passage. I love this passage. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though the outer man is decaying, finish it with me, yet our can you say amen? Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, Lord, for that. People up here in this front row are saying, what are they talking about? You will know. Yeah. So we're, 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 we're physically embodied. Oh, I have time. Some of the uh, training that Deborah and I were receiving uh, years ago with reference to be able to help people and uh, uh, a guy that I'm, I'm sure he's in his 40s, maybe, maybe a little older than that, was involved in helping some other people and doing some counseling. Uh, Marshall has mentioned in the past the counseling ministry that takes place at uh, Faith Church there in, in Lafayette. They have a lot of people that are counseling that helping other people um, with things going on. And he, he talked about the fact of a man that came in. He said it just impacted his life. And uh, uh, he said he came in, the man was in his 80s. Is in his 80s, and he, he signed up and said, I, I would like to, I need some help, I'd like to talk to somebody. And the younger guy that was to, to meet with him then had some time together and he said, okay, what's going on, what's the problem? You never know what's going on in people's lives. He said, well, my, my wife and I, both of us, we're, we're well into our 80s now. And uh, he said, I, I'm, we're still able to be home, take care of one another but it's really a, really a challenge. And he said, I forget things all the time. I just want to be reminded of what I need to keep in mind to love and to care for and serve my wife. There's a man in his 80s saying, I still want to know how can I love and care for my wife. May his tribe increase. Amen? Well, okay, so we're physically embodied. We need to be alert to that. What's going on? But he says, likewise, we are socially embedded. What what does all that mean? We must see that past experiences have present influence. And that past family life remains a present force in in our behavior. Working through that, I was thinking about a guy, a couple that was in our church from the beginning Nearly, I think so, uh, Ray and Barb Hammonds. How many remember Ray and Barb Hammonds? And uh, Ray came from a family, I believe, and I can't remember, senior moment. Deborah, I was trying to 
see if she could remember, it was either 15 or 17 kids. He was one of either 15 or 17 kids. Do you think that that had an impact upon his marriage in terms of where he came from? I actually think it was kind of a situation where they went the other extreme and given their kids everything because he didn't have much of, much of anything. But Ray and Barb, and what a, how much they cared for each other, not both of them uh, with the Lord. This little extra story has nothing to do with, the, with, with what's going on today. But anyhow, Ray was, at a, he was an accountant, had a really good job in the city. And uh, Ray would always kind of take some extra money and put it in his pocket or put it in his back pocket of his pants or have it in the suit a pocket of one of his suits that he had in his closet. So there was always some money that was stuck in some of his clothes. Uh, Ray went to the hospital. First time he ever went to the hospital is when he went there and two-thirds of his heart was gone, not functioning. And Ray looked up to me and he said, Hey, Pastor, remember when we memorized the Beatitudes? I said, Yeah, I do. He said, Let me give them to you. He's laying in the hospital with two-thirds of his heart gone. He says, Let me quote the Beatitudes to you. A couple of weeks later, he's with the Lord. First time he was in the hospital. But back to his clothes, the Lord took him home. Afterward, I said to Barb, can I have his clothes? I'd like to buy his clothes. <laughs> you selfish pastor, you. That's all I had to say about Okay. Our past relational experiences exert a powerful sway over our present. Where are you from? Where he came from? They do not determine our behavior, but they deeply influence. Everybody say the word influence. Influence how we think and choose to truly understand my spouse, to know them fully in order to love her devoutly is to understand the relational past and how it influences their present. Pastor Dave's here. He didn't come from a Christian home. Kim did. That's a, that's a real difference, bringing into marriage. 17 kids, family. Boy, what was that, what was that like? Now, caution here. A caution. We are influenced by our past, but as a Christian, as a Christian, our past, our past determines much of our present behavior, but we must view it biblically. Your present behavior does have something to do with how you view your past, how you view the present. But the question that I'm asking you is, do you view it biblically? He used an example, very hard example, with reference to the chapter of a, a gal who entered into marriage and her past had been abused, sexually abused. So hard things, hurts, trials, circumstances of life, family, they're living yet with the Lord, whatever, past, do you understand that do you understand that the freudian based secular psychology in effect says your past is virtually everything and that you are somewhat of a victim to it and because you are a, a because you are very much just a product of your environment then your past is everything and so uh, people want you to, to jump into your past and spend all kinds of uh, 
different quote-unquote therapies. You fail today because you were abused in the past. And I'm not, I'm not minimizing anybody's abuse. Your love cup is only half full, whatever that was. Remember that stuff? Your deep personal needs were not adequately met in life. Your wounded inner child is creating emotional pain. Your memories need to be healed. Remember that phase? We need our healing of our memories like they could be accurate anyhow. Today's choices are not your fault. You're a victim because of what happened to you in the past. And what I want to say to you this morning is, if you're a Christian and you're going to think biblically and you're going to be in your Bible, you're going to understand that God has ordained your past to be your best friend to your present. If you learn as to what he is doing and how he's working in that past. And I'm waving Dr. Veyer's book at you right now, okay? Because this is the best book you will read about that very topic from a biblical perspective. I don't want to minimize the reality of what's happened to us in our past. It does influence us, but it doesn't have to determine our present. And we think about the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and he enters the that, that particular uh, New Testament epistle with the Corinthians, and he says, you know, in the midst of what took place in his past, he says, the God of all comfort comforted us. And then he says this, he comforts us with the comfort that he gives to us that we may be able to bring comfort to others who are in affliction. What is he saying? He's saying what's going on in God comforting you in your past is good not against you to give you an opportunity to have ministry with other people. Then he gets later on in the chapter and he said, we despaired even of our lives. And then he gives a purpose clause. clause. And then he says in this, in order that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God. That's learning from your past. So we want, we want to think biblically about our past and the benefit that our past can be to us and alert to that as to our past in our husband or wife so that we can be sensitive to how God has worked. We love to quote Genesis 50, 20. God meant it for Eve. You meant it for? But God meant it. Who can quote the rest of the verse? The rest of the verse says this. In order to bring about this present result for preserving many people alive, All of Joseph's past had a very good purpose in the plan of God and what God was doing, not only in his life, but in the life of the entire nation. So I'm just waxing a little bit on this one because we have all kinds of nonsense today, which is what I would call victim, victim mentality rather than victor mentality and seeing God and his goodness at work in our lives. Will you say amen to that? So, we are physically embodied, we are socially in terms, Im- embedded in terms of our past. Hang on with me here, we've got some time yet, there's only about 19 other circles, ready? We are spiritually embattled, oh boy, we, we know that. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against the rulers, the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual force of wickedness and the heavenly places. And if you're in Christ, 
You know that. That's why we've been taught here, take up the armor of God. We're wrestling. We're wrestling. So we're of spirit, the on the alert, the adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone whom he may devour. So that we're, we're, we're fighting this good fight, but much of our fight is our fight with sin. It's just a fight with sin. Remain right with the Lord and right with one another and attentive to the, to the cost of, of, of sin and, and, and wrong choices and what it, what it can do um, to us. Sometimes in our marriage, uh, Deborah's struggling. Maybe just struggling with stuff that's going on, maybe struggling with her own heart, struggling with living with me, another sinner, struggling physically, handling life right in light of physical things going on. I, I don't know about you, but I'm not feeling well. I am not a very good Christian. It really affects my attitude. Thank you for not saying amen, Deborah. Really, I mean, really. We're just fighting. We're fighting to be, to, to be a blessing to others, to be right, keep short sin accounts in our own lives, right? Then there are other times, she's doing fine, but I gotta, I'm, I'm struggling. Men never struggle, right? Just women that struggle. We men never get down. We never discourage or never hurt or just struggling with areas of, 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 of sin in our lives and temptation, handling temptation, normal to the Christian life, but giving in to it isn't. And then, then sometimes we're just both struggling. We're both struggling. And the only thing we can do then is to go to Olive Garden and eat about 19 breadsticks <laughs> just to feel better because all our problems go away when we eat. Amen? Let's go out, buy something or eat something. Right? <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So I'm going to tell you what is the key. I'm going to remind you this morning. If you remember anything, I'm going to remind you of what is the key when we're struggling. I've written a pamphlet on this. And for $25, if you send $25 into my Feed My Horse ministry, okay? What? Hey, we're sending money to save the cats and the dogs. Can't you send money to, see, to feed my poor horse? Amen to that? Listen, it is so basic Seriously, it is so basic, but so profoundly important in our marriage. So if, if you're taking notes, write it down and underline it three times. There is nothing that brings us together, keeps us together, helps keep us right with one another, helps keep us close to one another, than praying with and for one another. There is absolutely no substitute for that. None. Nothing means more to my wife than when I'm praying with her and I pray for her. Pray for her. Nothing means more to me than she knows I'm struggling. She's telling me I'm praying for you likewise. And I don't mean praying for my wife and say, Lord, would you fix this woman? Get her right. Make her a better wife for me. No. But seriously, with and for. Everybody say that. With and for your husband, with and for your wife. Men, you're spiritual leaders, so you're responsible first to do so. You can do that going for a walk, taking her hand, just pray for her, know what's going on. You can do that in the car coming this morning. You've got the family, the kids, here you pray, here and pray for each other. Uh, in August, I will pronounce Troy and Elizabeth 
husband and wife in August. I've been impressed by both of them. I knew Elizabeth. I did not know Troy. They're not here, are they? I don't, okay, good. I can talk about them. Okay? Impressed by Troy. He's taken uh, stuff very seriously in terms of just wanting to be God's kind of man. You know what I found out about him? I found out that he came from a home where his dad read the scriptures every night and then his mom prayed and the mom prayed for every one of the kids individually every night. I, I didn't do that and I'm a pastor. I think that must have had some kind of impact upon his life. Would you agree with me? What do you suppose I'm challenging him to do in his marriage? <laughs> so I just brought the whole church weight on him. <laughs> Point him out this morning so we all remember. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you as well as I can when we're struggling, when we're struggling. Yep, the word is needed. And other people can help us say, hey, you need to get your head on straight here. You know, you got good friends that love you that can tell you, you're not thinking right at this time, whatever else. But nothing's going to help us as husband and wife then to pray for one another. What else are we? Oh, yeah, the enemy is hard at work seeking to influence us away from our heavenly father. We know all about that. Spiritually embattled. Then one more. We are sovereignly embraced. We are sovereignly embraced in terms of God working in our, in our lives, in how he's over all what is going on. In the book, he says um, providence of God, but because I had to have alliteration, I had to change it to sovereignly embraced. And so when I think about all of those 10 that Deborah and I, we just took some time and said, let's talk about defining moments in our, in our life. I shared three of them with you with the fact that we moved away to Milwaukee and it was just us. We didn't have anybody else with us at that time. Or the fact that we were planning a family and had a, Deborah, um, we had a miscarriage and that was, may not sound like a big deal when you got kids later on, but it was a big deal at the time. Hard, hard. But what I know now is the fact that God was sovereignly working in all of that. I can give you five reasons I'm not going to do this morning why God's timing was not best to have a child at that time. But I look forward to seeing that one. One day we get to heaven. So the most awesome and mysterious circle is the doctrine of God's providence. The Bible tells us that God works through all secondary causes to execute his good and perfect will. He encircles our embodied hearts, our social systems, our spiritual battles with his good intentions and gracious purposes. In every circumstances, he is behind it all, working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all of that, he has a good intent. Now, we remind ourselves different times when we're in the midst of different things that's going on in our lives, we want to pass the test. But we haven't always passed the test. But we remind ourselves, we want to pass the test. When it come through this thing better, not bitter for the Lord Jesus Christ. God's working in, in your life individually in all of this, and he's working in our marriage together in all of this. And I'm going to go back here quick. Um, Philippians 2.13 reminds us, for as God who is at work in you both to will and to work for what? Say the rest of it. For his what? His good pleasure to his glory and for our good. Take away. Marriage is a gift and a stewardship. Marriage is a quest toward knowing the complex gift God has given you. You are to learn who they are as a whole person so that you can skillfully love and care for them and so that your 
closeness, your oneness that is continually being cultivated in your marriage. You can have young people in this church say, I want a marriage like that. I see the gospel in that marriage. Third, learn about each other helps to prepare for adopted change and adopted change. I like this. Next time you see newlyweds, tell them to take a good look at their spouse, then remind them that if their marriage endures, they will actually live with several different people, all of them the same person, because we change. Do we not? Because we change. Just one more little thing about my wife that really irritates me. No, 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 no. One more thing about when Deborah reached a certain age in her life, we would make trips home and they would call her Debbie. Call her, De- call her Debbie. I can tell you all this. And uh, on the way home, she said, I'm now, she gave her age at that time, I'm now this age, I am not Debbie, I'm old enough now, people can call me Deborah. I just wanted to share that. that was, I thought that was, that was a change. I could handle that one. That was an easy one to work on. Amen? I love you, Debbie. Yeah. That's true. We're on a quest. Married people, we're on a quest. We want to live the gospel. We have a ministry. It starts on our own marriage. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for time together this morning, teachable people. Thank you for your grace in our lives, what you've done in our lives giftedness that you give us. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. This day that we have fellowship, the gift of the, of the body of Christ to enjoy these things together, the gift of loving each other enough the times that when we, we, we might even get together and say, hey, how you doing? And how's it going? And you're in the word and encourage each other. The opportunity that we have to have companionship and, and, and for some of us a little bit older, look back at the gifts that the children give, grandchildren. I know they're our greatest blessing, sometimes our greatest burden. But thank you. All these gifts, all this goodness to us. And, and, the, and the difficulties, the, the, the things about living in a fallen world, when they hit us, suddenly, doctor, suddenly things going on, changes, radical changes, like that 80-some-year-old man. We want to pass the test to the glory of God. We pray this in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.